Carpenter's Way. I can see you guys. Sorry about the left side. I can't see you anymore. I can see these guys over here. Hey, we're changing stuff up a little bit. You guys probably know it's Mark moved up on stage last week, so a little bit different here, but uh, why don't you go ahead and stand up on your feet, find somebody and tell them. This heart open wide from the depths, from the heights, I will bring a sacrifice. With these hands lifted high, hear my song, hear my cry, I will bring 
a sacrifice I will bring a sacrifice And I lay me down, I'm not my own I belong to you alone Lay me down, lay me down Oh, and on my heart this much is true There's no life apart from you Lay me down, lay me down Oh, lay me down, lay me down Letting go of my pride Giving up all my rights Take this life and let it shine, shine, shine Take this light and let it shine And I lay me down, I'm not my own I belong to you alone Lay me down, lay me down Oh, this much is true There's no life apart from you Lay me down, lay me down Oh, lay me down, lay me down And it will be my joy to say your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, always. And it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, it will be my joy to say. Your will, your way, always. And I lay me down, I'm not my own, I belong to you alone, lay me down, lay me down, oh, and on my heart this much is true, there's no life apart from you, lay me down, lay me down, and I lay me down, I'm not my own, I belong to you alone, lay me down, lay me down, oh, and all my heart this much is true, there's no life apart from you, lay me down, lay me down.
Welcome to Carpenter's Way, and if you're watching online, we're glad to have you with us this morning. This has been a big weekend at Carpenter's Way. We had Ignition Weekend, the student ministry. That's when our junior high and high school get together and uh, talk about how uh, your school is a mission field. And uh, Jeff and Mark Dubose and their team, uh, are, they'll, they'll probably be sleeping around you this morning. So just stick your finger in your mouth and put it in their ear and it'll wake them right up if they nod off. But uh, anyway, be praying for our students. We prayed for our teachers as they went back last week. And our students, that they can see this as an opportunity to share Christ with others and, uh, and, and be praying for them. If you're visiting with us, thanks for being with us. Uh, we we want to make it clear. We're, we're right now in the middle of a study uh, on the life of Jesus from the Gospels and uh, trying to take all four Gospels and put them in chronological order. We're not hitting every story, but uh, kind of moving our way through the life of Christ. We find ourselves this morning at about a year and a half to two years into his three-year ministry. Uh, and it, uh, I think for a lot of us, it's been shocking to hear Jesus teach. I think we had forgotten just how bold and direct and unapologetic he was about what it means to be a follower of his, what the cost is. So glad to have you here this morning, glad to have you watching on the internet, and uh, thank you for that. If, you'll, if you're in the room and you've got a worship guide, would you open it up? I want to highlight a few things that are coming up. You'll notice that there's an insert in the worship guide, uh, and it is about... We are kind of changing up our Wednesday night adult Bible study. We're going to take it, we have lots of Bible studies. About 95% of everything we do is verse-by-verse verse study of Scripture, which, of course, we really feel like that's what God wants us to do, and that's where truth is found. Truth is not found in our experiences. Truth is not found in our favorite author. Truth is found in the Word of God, and so we really emphasize uh, our time in the Word. That's, that's what we do. Having said that, there has to be a format in which we can allow conversation to take place about living in the world. How do we, a biblical worldview, because that's what the Holy Spirit begins to do. He begins to change the way, well, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, change the way I think, and in turn, changing the way I behave. And uh, so uh, we want to have an opportunity uh, more regularly to have conversations on, on life in the world. And our first one is going to start, uh, so we're changing it from Wednesday night Bible study because it's not going to just be a Bible study to what we're going to call koinonia, which means fellowship. Uh, it means coming together, reasoning together, discussing together, and that's what these are going to be. If you have been with us on Wednesday night, it's going to be the same mojo of conversation, but it's going to be on different issues, topics, still sometimes uh, books of the Bible, but we're going to turn these into four to six week studies uh, conversations is what they are. And the first one is going to be September 4th is going to start. It's going to be a six-week conversation on what is sacred marriage, what is biblical marriage. Um, we are going to be using a video series uh, by a friend of our family, Gary Thomas, uh, called Sacred Marriage. Some of you have read the book. It's an excellent book. Um, but I, I just want to say that this is not just a study for those of you who are married. This is a conversation on what is sacred marriage, what is biblical marriage, because I think with all that's gone on the last few years with, with uh, homosexual marriage and different things like that, I think the church is obviously confused on what biblical marriage is. Biblical marriage is not a, a marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, that is not biblical marriage. That may be, well, we can call it whatever we want, but biblical marriage is different than that. It is, it is uh, sacred marriage is different. So that's what we're going to be discussing for six weeks, a biblical view of marriage. So I would encourage you to come if you're single or married. Uh, and we're going to have this conversation. Um, so uh, that is in there. Put that down. And again, that will be a, a six-week-long series. Um, Alversons, why don't you come on up here? Um, as you know, we are very, uh, we're not only 
very intentional about our uh, time in the Word Bible study, but we're also very intentional about ministry at Carpenter's Way, missions especially. And we look for opportunities not just to serve the Lord here in Angelina County, although there's lots of opportunities for that and we do that, but also internationally and, and with the excuse of, of presenting the gospel at all times and in all places. And so the Albersons are going to be investigating what may be our newest opportunity for short-term missions, but I'm going to have them share. Good morning. Uh, we are going to talk about going to the border and uh, the Texas-Mexico border and ministry. And there seems to be some uh, controversy throughout uh, churches and in the secular parts of the world here. And uh, we want to be sure that you understand why we're going and what our task is. There's two scriptures I want to read. First is uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Basically, neighbor means, from what I can tell, everybody but you, regardless of where they are, who they are. The next, uh, the next scripture is Galatians 6, 9, and 10. So let's not get tired of doing, doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have an opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So um, I wanted to start by giving you just a little background um, about how we get to a place like this. Uh, Clay's been an elder for about eight years. I'm on my second round serving on mission investment. Um, we started as missionary parents. Uh, Jessica was in college, and she went for two weeks to an um, orphanage in Uganda, and then she went back for her college internship to South Africa for the whole summer. Uh, then Tori went to Uganda to the same orphanage that Jessica had gone to, and she stayed for the whole summer, and then she went to Madagascar for two and a half years. Clay and I have been to Matamoros, Mexico. He's been to India. He and I went to Madagascar, and then he and Jessica and Russell went back. Um, we've been to Guatemala, and recently our oldest, Tyler, went there on a business mission. So now we're going full circle, and we're headed back down to the South Texas border, where we went over 15 years ago. So I guess you could say we're an internationally mission-minded family. We're going down to Brownsville and Matamoros, September the 8th through the 13th. Um, this got started one uh, Sunday. Mark's message had us discussing in our Bible study class. We were just pondering, who are we in this? Um, it is controversial, and there are um, divisions about that. And... You know, it just goes back to the scriptures Clay shared, and what would Jesus do? He would eat with sinners. Um, Mark made some connections for us. The first one was Samaritan's Purse, but there was a waiting list to serve. How cool is that? Um, so we are connected with the Southern Baptists of Texas Disaster Relief Organization, um, and he connected us to Iglesia Bautista in Brownsville and Pastor Carlos Navarro. Um, Pastor Carlos turned his church into a shelter, much like we do during a hurricane. 
Um, he was a Guatemalan refugee, and he came here illegally, but he later became a U.S. citizen. So he sees himself in the migrants. He's been bringing them in as they cross the border to feed, shelter, and minister to them, regardless of their circumstances. So here's uh, some information about what we're going to go um, help with. We have a couple of possibilities. Um, the numbers he experienced at his migrant shelter have dropped drastically. They were 100 plus per day, and they've gone down to 12 per day. But just this last week, the numbers came back up to about 20 per day. And they have a shower unit down there. So they need help um, getting people in and out of the shower unit and just helping maintain the church and um, converting it like we do. They convert it back to a church every Sunday. So um, it's, it's been a lot. It's a, it's a small church. Um, and in addition to that, starting last week, Pastor Carlos and his church are ministering on the Mexico side of the border in Matamoros. So they're going to shelters um, and serving migrants in several locations. They hand out food, water, clothing, hygiene items, and Bibles. So we expect to join that effort, and we'll just see when we get there. You know, one of the things about missions is you just have to be flexible. So when we get there, we'll decide. Nila Longino's going with us. Um, so we may serve on this side, we may serve on the other side, or we may do both. Um, they do have some needs. They pack backpacks with Bibles, sleeping bags, food, and necessities to hand out in the shelters on the south side of the border. So Mark has offered for us to put a box in the lobby, and we'll just collect backpacks. Um, they need, uh, you imagine how many people are down there. So if you give one backpack per person, um, they're in great need of those. So we'll put a box in the lobby. We're not going until September the 8th, so you have plenty of time to just bring backpacks and drop them in there. Um, and also, their second greatest need is Spanish Bibles. And if you'd like to help with that, I didn't get a chance to talk with Mark before the service, but I think the best way would be to donate to the church, to our church, and then we would order through, I think we have a resource to order, there are a particular Spanish Bible. And I think we sent some to Guatemala. So um, I think we'll, we'll figure that out with Wendy and um, get that set up. So. You can donate towards the Bibles, or you can bring backpacks to the lobby. Um, I ask you to pray for us and see what God has for us in this ministry, but we are very excited. Yep. Thank you. Uh, last week, I had been mentioning this a couple of weeks, I had a couple of people ask me about this, and I, I, just, I just want to remind you, I know this is really hard to remember, but you are not citizens of this country. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. Vote the way your conscience tells you to, whether it's right or left. You can vote for a wall. And you, I had some ask, well, aren't we supporting those who are breaking the law? That is not our first concern. Our first concern is to minister to anyone and everyone the Lord brings to our door. And this is a wonderful opportunity to do that. These people are desperate. And uh, um, I, just, I just really want to encourage you. This is what we do. This is what we do as the body of Christ. We tell people about Jesus, whether, whether they're here legally, illegally. We go into prisons. We, we, do, we do lots of stuff. Whatever the Lord, doors the Lord opens. And uh, it, is a, it is interesting because some of you want to be involved in missions and can't. We, we obviously go each year to Brazil. We take teams to Guatemala. The Lord has allowed these over the years. And uh, if you can't afford that, we're checking this out to see if it's something that we could do on a regular basis. 
uh, with some of our families. Um, your life is going to be over in 70 years here. I mean, I, everybody in this room is probably going to be home at that point. And, and our American citizenship at that point will be non-relevant. All that will matter is what we did with the gospel. And I encourage you to reach beyond your political heart into the, and, and minister to the souls of people in need, please. This is what we're called to do. Uh, I remind you that Jesus over and over had problems with the Jews, and he talked about ministers, ministering Samaritans. These were, the, these were the least likely people that were ministering, serving. If you want to see men and women of God, serve with them. And I understand, I, I really do understand that this conflicts with us politically. If you're watching the news, it's such an angry time. It should not be angry in the church. It, sh it shouldn't. It just, it just shouldn't be angry in the church. Vote and go on with your ministry. And um, I think you know what I'm talking about. And I, I know that some of you really, really get upset at this. And I just want you to take a breath and understand that we don't serve you, we serve the Lord. I want to be as clear as I can. We will take anybody with us to heaven that wants to go. And that means we're going to have to reach over the fence. And sometimes we're going to make mistakes. And, make, and, and maybe this or Brazil is one of those mistakes, but I'll be darned if we don't keep trying. That's what Jesus did. He never stopped chasing. And so take a deep breath and understand. Uh, we, we invest an enormous amount of money as a church into missions. We don't apologize for it. We believe that's why we're here. You will notice that our, our church is less than perfect, our facility. It's just about what it should be. We're not going to invest millions in a building that is just used a couple times a week. Let's invest millions into the lives of people that will spend eternity with God. And um, I'm, I, I know you can tell I'm very passionate about it, and uh, it's because I'm right on this. I don't say it very often, but you're not going to find, and, and I don't mean I, we. We are right on this. And um, I, I was reminded this week that Jesus is not a white Anglo-American. Um, I'm not going to say he was black. I'm not going to say he's even dark-skinned. I don't know what he was. I just know he's the Lord and Savior. Spent some time in Egypt as a child. Uh, grew up in Nazareth after uh, a few years. Um, and he ministered to people. And uh, so too should we. So please take a breath. And our job, what we do here, what we do here is actually remind you of your calling. We open the word of God to remind you what's truth. The Bible is our authority and we remind you. And this is part of that. And my prayer, my secret prayer, it's no longer going to be a secret because I can't keep secrets. My prayer is that some of you will take families eventually to the border and minister to people because we need to grow up men and women of God who have hearts of compassion that go beyond their, beyond their political agenda. Um, my office is always open to be corrected. You know that, but you better bring your Bible because that's our authority, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Scriptures. It, and if I'm wrong, if you can show us, if you can show me where I'm wrong scripturally, I would be more than happy to get up here and tell, and tell the rest of the church I was wrong and why we were wrong. In the meantime, we're going to keep reaching people. No matter what their color, race, legal status, we're going to tell people that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he came and died on the cross for their sins, and without him, there's no hope, not even for the American dream. There's an eternal hope found in Jesus Christ. You do believe that, right? So let's keep telling people, you guys. Um, I, I'm preaching, but that isn't even my message. That was the free part. Um, so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering, um, and uh, we're going to commit our service to the Lord. Uh, there are opportunities. For those of you who can't go international or serve like this, 
you can disciple here at Carpenter's Way. Our, our children's ministry need people to love on kids and teach kids. There's information in the worship guide about it. We want you involved. And uh, so we encourage you to consider that participation because that is equally important as everything we do outside of the building. So, Lord Jesus, we love you and we're thankful that we can gather here together this morning and get into your word and be refocused on what's true, realigned by your word. Father, I thank you for the scriptures that teach us, um, that teach us what is true and, and tell us what's wrong in our lives that prepares us for every good work you've called us to do. And so it is my prayer this morning that we, um, that we would fight the urge to think about ourselves. And, and Father, we put our eyes on others. And I know, Lord Jesus, in this room, it is a miracle that we even gather. There are people of all historical, uh, just where they come from, their, their family of origin. Father, uh, religious backgrounds, um, even denominational backgrounds. There is different socioeconomic statuses in this room and on, this, on the internet. And Father, there are people with different political views, but we have one thing in common, that is you are our Savior. You are Lord of our lives, and we want to follow you. So I pray, Father, for ears that hear, uh, hearts that w are willing to obey, people that are willing to change their uh, points of view for the work of the King. And Lord Jesus, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would guide our words guide our studies. I pray as we continue in worship this morning that you would lead us in worship. And may we be encouraged by your spirit in the inner places of our hearts. We love you, Lord. We thank you uh, for these leaders who are willing to lead us on missions and, and trips outside of our area. We pray you bless them. And now, Lord Jesus, as we turn our eyes on you, may the things of the earth uh, grow unbelievably dim in the light of your glory. In Jesus' name, shelter in you my God and there you give me rest you are my refuge and my safe place my strength is in your name and though I stumble you won't let me fall cause you hold me
foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Every morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. All my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, and great are you, Lord, it's your bread. In our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise at your bread. In our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. You give life, you are love.
chorus again. means even my words. Don't sit down just for a second. Just hold on. That means even my breath belongs to him. And I, I, think, I think in our culture, in our context, we've gotten so used to being to owning everything when we own nothing as the children of the king. We own nothing. It's his. I forget that. Everything that I have, everything that I am, if you confess Jesus as, as Lord, that's when you're saved. And I think we forget that. And so it makes the teachings of Jesus really complicated. It's like, what more are you asking from me? Everything. That's why he said, pick up your cross and follow me. Die to self. Because Satan wants us thinking we own all this. He wants us thinking this is ours. Because if it's ours, we can, we can decide what to do with it. But if it's, his, if it's really his breath in our lungs, then everything I say matters. Everything I say has to be measured with, does he want me to say it? Is it using his property for the best? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us to hear from you this morning. Help us to hear from your spirit through your word. And the things that need to change, may they be changed. The sins that need to be repented of, may they be repented of. And may we be a family who are completely owned by the King of Kings with heaven in mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Last week's text, Luke 7, reads, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she kneeled behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man really were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, Rabbi, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, concealing their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash uh, the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfumes. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. She has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. 
Now go into peace. Chapter 8. Soon after, this is the next, next verse. Soon afterward, after this, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. The good news there is translated good news. It's the word gospel. He took his 12 disciples with him. Along with them were some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from which he had cast out seven demons. Jonah, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. I, I don't think that in 2019 we can really appreciate just how deeply offensive Jesus' activities were to the Jews. I, and I, especially the Pharisees, and I, I cannot reiterate enough, I know you know this in your heads, but I want to say again that these people, these Pharisees were the right conservatives of their day. These are the people that you and I would worship with. They really were. I'm not just being fancy. They really, really were. They were the people who were the people of the Scriptures. They were studying the Old Testament Scriptures from them, not to learn from them, but to validate their own ideas about the Scriptures and about the Messiah that they were awaiting. Everything Jesus did seemed to go against their favorite expectations for the Messiah. I mean everything. He wasn't doctrinally what I expected from their promised Messiah. It was from how, high he, uh, from how he taught about repentance to sin to forgiving sin on his own and what he said about judgment and the kingdom of heaven and, and the standards that God had. From how he healed when he healed, who he healed, to whom he hung out with, who he allowed to touch him, like this woman, who from the, from the text as you read it, you get the idea that she continued to kiss his feet while he sat at the table. I mean, this, I told you last week that we kind of get accustomed to this kind of idea where people are washing Jesus' feet or this woman's kissing his feet. I want you to know that within the context of the story, it was weird, really really weird. To have this woman even in the room of a Pharisee's house, we believe she was probably a prostitute, but then to have her touch Jesus, the rabbi, and have her kissing his feet, you know, you remember when Bush was president and somebody threw their sandal at him? The bottom of the feet in the Middle East is the most offensive thing. You're not supposed to touch it. This woman was nonstop kissing his feet, and not only did she do it, but he allowed it, and he uses it. You get the idea that even while he's talking to Simon, reading his mind and his thoughts, Jesus is actually watching this woman continually kiss his feet. To this last text that we really didn't get into last week, chapter 8, the first three verses, that, that talk about Jesus having among his followers not just the 12, but actually women who had been demon-possessed. Jesus is remarkable. And I think one of the disadvantages we have, I have more and more people telling me that as we get more into the Scriptures, they're kind of glad they didn't grow up in the church because they're in awe of, of who Jesus is. And when you grow up in the church, these stories become old. I mean, we, we laugh on Wednesday night quite a bit about this, but we've turned the story where hundreds and thousands of people were drowned, the story of Noah and the ark, into a kid's theme for the baby room. Or, or Jonah and the whale, cute little whales on the wall and Jonah. I mean, these are tragic stories of disobedience and rebellion and judgment of God that we've kind of turned into cartoons. These are real stories. These are real people. 
These are people just like us. You know, nothing has changed in 1900 years except technology. People's hearts and desires and longings are the same. I mean, this is really incredible because among his followers is a woman who's demon-possessed or had been demon-possessed, the wife of one of Herod's business managers. <laughs> are you kidding me? Lots of people, including rich people who supported him. At the end of the text, some, uh, uh, um, as, as you work through the teachings of Jesus, I, I know that some of, uh, some of these things are hard. It's, it seems to have been a long time since we've really studied the teachings of Jesus because it's kind of like, whoa, calm down. Jesus, lighten up a little bit, you know? You're kind of an intense dude there. <laughs> Why are you so loving to the immoral and so hateful towards the religious? Because the immoral, immoral woman was so overwhelmed by his grace and mercy, she grabs his feet and kisses while the religious guy is still questioning who he is. I mean, sometimes we become so religious and so knowledgeable in all things religion, we forget to bow. We evaluate him and his message within our context, not, not surely just on who he is, and that's, that's dangerous. We all come to the table, family, we all come to the table with preconceived ideas and our political and our, our moral agendas all mush into that and we look for God to confirm what we, what we want, what we think is true, and He doesn't. I told you when we started this study that, that two things are true. Jesus is way too conservative for the liberal because He demands repentance. And He's way too liberal for the conservative because He doesn't care who they are, He ministers to them. And I think some of us here are struggling with that. I think we struggle. I had somebody ask me last week if I thought rich people could walk faithfully with the Lord. I think that's an important question. I must have given the wrong idea. The, as, the answer is absolutely. Absol well, let me shake my head the right way. Absolutely I do. I absolutely think rich people and poor people can walk with God. I think it's harder for rich people because... Well, I'll tell you why. Because you're self-sufficient. It's deceitful. Why does God make somebody rich or allow them to become wealthy so they can use His wealth for His glory? It's not yours. It's not mine. And it's hard when you have so much to remember it's not ours. It's been given to us, so we give away. Jesus talked more about riches and the danger of it than almost anything else. Do you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven? Jesus talked more about suffering than he did blessing. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Just because nobody's talking about it. L let me just put a side note, and I want to I defend myself a little bit here. Some of you are like, well, I liked it when you were preaching grace a lot more. You understand this is still grace. But the church has lost, and I'm talking about the church in whole, the church has lost the theology of suffering and sacrifice. That's what Jesus talked about to his followers. A theology, a doctrine of sacrifice, giving everything up for him. And that wasn't just Jesus, it was Paul. Let your bodies be a living sacrifice. Paul said, if I wanted to be loved by men, I wouldn't be a follower of Jesus. We, we have tried, and, 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 I, and I, I think... We failed, but we have tried to mesh worldliness and Christianity. It's not working. The life of the child of God is radically different. It's even offensive to the religion. It's offensive. Jesus is offensive because he stands against religion and for a relationship. 
Why does he let that woman, that woman that you and I would never let in our house, we would be just like Simon. That's, that's what I want you to understand. We're all a lot more like Simon than we are most of us, than that prostitute. We're a lot more like him. And, and we would, if, if we had Jesus over for dinner and a woman came in, we wouldn't tell him to kick her out of the house, but we'd be sitting there going, ooh, we're going to have to replace that carpet. You can laugh. Lighten up. We're all in this discussion. I mean, seriously, this was a woman of the night. How would they know? Because, well, you know how they knew. They knew her. They knew at least she was very sinful. For the child of God, the money you have or the gifts you've been given, whether it's preaching or singing or loving kids or loving others, the gifts you've been given are not your own. Satan wants you to own them so that you feel you're self-sufficient. You're not. The world can change in a heartbeat. One of the things we as elders have discussed, and some of you who are involved in missions, you're beginning to realize is that the refugees we have helped in Brazil is an example of this. Um, some of them are doctors. Some of them are dentists and lawyers. If you watch what happened in Syria a couple of years ago, and listen to the stories of the refugees, many, many of them are professionals. Your job cannot save you from an evil world. Your God can. It doesn't mean he's not going to allow us to be refugees. What it means is he is going to sustain us. Remember Jesus' word, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be taken care of. And what's he talking about in light of? Where the disciples would sleep, where they would rest, what they would wear. And Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Seek me first. You see, the call of Jesus is to seek him and everything else kind of takes its, it settles in the background. Do we need to be worried about how to prepare to take care of our family? Sure we do. Do we need to be worried about our country? Absolutely. So you vote and minister to whoever God brings to your doorstep. That's how I do it. I'm conservative. I lock my, I've told you this before, and forgive me if this offends some of you, but I lock my door at night, and I believe we need to have borders. I am a border pro guy, but that doesn't mean I don't care about the people on the other side of the border. I have to. Why? Because Jesus cared about them. And I am here in Texas not just to make things work the way they've worked for 200 years. I'm here to make sure that a 1,000 years from now, as many people are enjoying the presence of God as can. That is our priority, family. You, you know that, right? You know that your priority is not to make sure that the flag waves for the next 235 years, but that actually people are in the kingdom of heaven through, uh, 235 years from now. That's our priority. Everything else is important, but it's not important with a capital I. Your house. May need a new kitchen, but that's not the most important thing you can do over the next year. The most important thing you can do next year is feed your gay neighbor. What? How can I do that? And wash their feet and anoint their head with oil and, and let them kiss the feet of Jesus by meeting him. Well, that was weird, I know, but that's what Jesus did. He, she wasn't doing it to get saved. She was doing it because she had been saved from so much. You know, it's not just nice people that get saved. It's really, really dirty people like you and me. I didn't get one amen on that. All right, let's keep moving. You know that, right? See, that's the problem, okay? And I, and I, I really want you to set context. The problem is we've got to use, we have gotten accustomed to being saved. Do, do you know what I mean? Okay, somebody nod. Do you know what I mean? You do understand that we're accustomed to being saved. We're accustomed to driving in the parking lot and walking into a church and singing songs some of Chad has written and, and, and very well. We're accustomed to air conditioning. Thank God for that. 
That's a whole new level of suffering. Went up to Chicago this week, helped my niece move into Moody Bible Institute, came back, still hot down here. I had a Chicago dog, I know, but I was ministering to the poor guy making it. That's what I was doing. But listen, the, the truth is, the truth is, and we do this with joy, there is joy to be had in service to the king. There is nothing. How many of you have ever been on a, on a short-term mission trip? I'm just curious. Put your hands up if you've been on it. It could be in the States or out of the States. Tell me that that wasn't the most amazing week of your life. There is something about giving God seven days, 24 hours a day, and saying, I'll do whatever you want me to do. There is an overwhelming strength that you have. You're amazed at how strong you feel. You're amazed at, at, at what God brings to mind to say to people and how you minister. It is amazing. And I want to be clear, in case I haven't made it clear, and I think sometimes I'm so busy talking about a sacrificial life I forget to tell you this, I want you to know there is no adventure like the God adventure. Not only do you get eternity, but you get a great ride here. There is hope when there shouldn't be. There is peace when there shouldn't be. There is Man, there's love where there shouldn't be. There really, really is. You actually can care about people that offend you. That is the most amazing thing about being a child of God. It's beautiful. It's joy. It's an abundant life, not necessarily of wealth and health, but it is an abundant life that leads into a life of wealth and health. It is not your best life now. In any sense of the imagination, your best life now will be the moment you go to be with Jesus Christ. That will be our best life. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He didn't say, I'm building my own house and I'm going to let you borrow a room. That's not what he said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's about you. I, I can't, I, 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 I'm kind of blown away by that. This is about serving him. That is about him serving us. How about that? For the next billion years, he's going to serve us. What's he doing right now? Preparing a place for us. And every time he puts a nail on a wall and every time he puts a new stereo system, right, Greg? He puts that sweet stereo system on that wall, that 350-inch television that I'm going to have with zero signal there. He's going, I'm doing this for Mark. And I know some of you are going, oh, so you think God's got wealth for you in heaven? That's what he said. You want a health and wealth doctrine? You're going to get it, but not until you're dead. He said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth doesn't eat, thief doesn't steal, and rust doesn't destroy. That's what he said. So if you want to be about the, the wealth of the kingdom, be about the wealth of the kingdom. In the meantime, serve the king. The problem is we're like this Pharisee going, oh, I don't, I don't think that. I really don't think that he should be letting that woman touch him. Jesus didn't meet the Jewish expectations for the Messiah. In fact, he shattered them. The expectations of the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders were that the Messiah would raise them up. Think on that. The Messiah would raise them up. That they would be exalted. That he would heal their nation and make them real rulers in that nation. In their dreams, the Hebrew people would be lauded. They would be powerful, ruling over everyone else who were unclean. Jesus welcomed everyone, though. He invited really, really nasty sinners to come to him. And as in the story I just read to you and we talked about last week, he, would, he wouldn't even let them touch him. Or he would let them touch him. No matter how many times, though, he fulfilled their prophecies. That's what's so ironic about Jesus. And I'm don't worry, I'm getting to today's text. <laughs> but
But uh, no matter how many times that he would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, and the answer is every time, Jesus was 100% fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. No matter how many times, they refused to believe that God would send a guy like that. They just refused to believe it. It seems to me that the more proof that Jesus gave that he was, in fact, God's Messiah, rather than relooking at their own ideas or comparing them with the Old Testament scriptures that they claimed to love so much, the harder their hearts became, the more entrenched and hateful they become towards others and him. I'm not merely talking about the religious leaders here, but Jesus' family as well. It was after dinner at Simon's house, this happens, and it must have been a huge deal because all three of the four disciples, the, the writers of the Gospels, I mean, three of the four writers of the Gospels tell the story. I'm going to tell it in, it, in its context from three different Gospels, piece, piecing it together. Mark 3.20 says this, One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. <laughs> I heard somebody laugh. As is often the case, the Greek gives us a lot more information, a lot of uh, high definition to the story. Jesus is traveling and speaking, and his crowd is actually growing. When he stops to teach, crowds immediately gather. And, and, just huge, enormous crowds of people that are listening to him to see him heal people. In this particular day, his biological family hears that he's in a particular place, so they come to get him. It's interesting because the Greek tells us, the Greek sentence for take him away and out of his mind actually tells us that they think he's become a religious fanatic. He's become unhinged. They think he's crazy. This is his brother's. And by the way, maybe his mom. I know that's shocking. And I know that if you grew up Catholic, this is going to, man, just get in your crawl. But I want to remind you of one time they come to talk to him about this. And that's the story that Chad taught us a month ago or so. The story of when they open the roof and they drop, they drop this guy down to him and Jesus heals him. It tells us at the end of that story that his mother and brothers are waiting outside for him. And his response when he hears that they're outside is, who are my mother and my brothers but you? remember that story? This seems to be an allusion to another time when that happens, if not the same time. They actually come to get him. They come to kidnap him. They're not going to take him. The, the Greek here refers to take by force. They're coming to tie him up and take him away. They think he's lost his mind. This is maybe Mary, but for sure his brothers. I want you to understand this. They grew up with him. They were there when he turned water into wine, or some of them were. They have seen and heard the miracles. They have seen him teach. And because they can't wrap their minds around the fact that this may be God sent one, they just decide he's nuts. You think it's hard for us to accept? How about them? Preconceived ideas. It did not make sense to them that their brother Jesus could possibly be who he claimed to be, or at least that he should act the way he was acting and be that guy. And rather than re-looking at the Scriptures to evaluate their understanding, they simply come to take him away. I want to remind you, it is dangerous to come at Jesus with a preconceived idea because he never fits our preconceived ideas. 
the day gets worse. Matthew 12, 22 and 23. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. Please note that he was brought to Jesus. Many theologians believe that the Pharisees are trying to set Jesus up. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed, and they asked themselves, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? So the little people, like us, are looking at Jesus going, whoa, 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 whoa. This fulfills prophecy. Is he really the guy? The Gospels record for us 37 supernatural events that Jesus performed. Most of them are recorded for us in Mark's Gospel. The purpose for Jesus performing these supernatural events were to confirm the message that needed to be listened to because only God could do what Jesus did. Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 say this. What makes us think that we can, ex- we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The purpose for Jesus' miraculous events, and it answers the question that some of you have been asking, why would Jesus, like at the pool of Bethesda, why would he step over hundreds of sick and lame people to get to one guy? Because his point isn't to make everybody physically well. His point is, you better listen to me, I'm God. And he was setting up a conversation that would take, next, take place the next day in the temple when he would declare himself to the religious leaders as God. In John 20, verses 30 and 31, John writes, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs. I want you to note that they're called signs. Why? Because it's a signpost that this guy needs to be listened to. He was not like everybody else who claimed to be the Messiah. He actually proved it by his supernatural capabilities. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus' miracles were effective. How can I say that? Matthew 12, 23, what you just saw. The crowd was amazed at His miraculous acts, at what He had done. They were amazed. And as a result, they asked themselves, could it be that Jesus is the Son of David, the Messiah? The supernatural activity of Jesus were signposts that he was different than anybody else that made the claims of Jesus. They fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Jesus doesn't just expect you to believe blindly. He wants you to investigate. But once you find out that he's really God, bow the knee. Boy, that's a message we don't talk about in the church. Jesus wants you to bow. He wants you to bow the knee. He expects us to bow the knee. He expects us to follow him, not the whims of our heart. I understand, like we're talking about, like the Alversons going to the border. There may be things in our flesh that go, well, if you help people that are illegally here, how then are you, I mean, that's going to encourage more people to come. That's not our primary concern as the children of God. We also serve the Lord in jails where people have raped and, and pillaged and done evil, evil things. One of my, um, man, I, I just thought of this. One of the most amazing things I ever read was a Lutheran pastor by a Lutheran pastor that was at the Nuremberg trials and ministered to the top agents that had been taken alive of the Nazi regime. And several, several, and I, I don't want to say names right now. I'm gonna, I, I want to guess, but if I do, I'll be wrong on this. But several of them came to know the Lord Jesus before they were hanged or shot. 
Are you talking about the people who are responsible for killing six million Jews? The answer is absolutely. That's our God. He takes people like Saul who are actually killing his children and he redeems them for his purposes. He deserves us to bow our knee. You have no idea what God has for you. You might be sitting here this morning and, and one of the thoughts are, I'm not a pastor, I am not an evangelist. How do you know that? How do you know that tomorrow you won't be Paul or somebody better? You have no idea what God's going to do with your life. We have no idea what God's going to do with this country and how he's going to use that to, to revive the church. Most of us in this room grew up in the church. I remember as a kid, pastors saying, the church in America needs revival today. Let's pray for revival. What if it's been 50 years and God's answering that prayer today and he's going to do it by socialism? I'm not saying don't vote, go vote. But it does tell us that God is going to seat somebody on the throne. I want comfort. I want a good offering every Sunday. I want to have a nice home. I want my kids healthy. I want my grandkids growing up in a loving country. There is something I want more. Jesus to rule. And that's hard for me to say because... My heart says it, but my flesh does not. I want comfort. And I'm trying to be honest with you here. When, when we're going through this with Jesus, I, I want you to understand something. He's freaking me out too. I had forgotten, you guys, that the only evidence in the New Testament of a child of God being a child of God is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The only evidence of that is not an intriplicate counseling thing at the front of a church you get from a pastor after you've walked the aisle. It is the fruit of the Spirit's presence. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. Some of the most unkind people I have ever met in my life go to church every week. And they're probably on their way to hell. Pastors can't say that. Jesus can. This isn't a joke. This isn't a game. This isn't an angle. This isn't a series. This is Jesus. The one. Really. This isn't an East Texas thing, okay? This isn't a Bible Belt thing. This isn't a, a what we do in America thing. Please understand. It is not God, guns, and whiskey. It's, it's not. It's just God. And I think, like these Pharisees, we forget that he gets to dictate what truth is, not us. So the crowd is amazed and they're asking, could it be that Jesus, the son of David, is the Messiah? Matthew 12, 24. Meanwhile, across the table... When the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. Now we figured it out. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Okay. Wow. Okay. Don't, don't get bored. Whoa. I, I want to tell you what just happened. What just happened is you had a group of people that refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah, right? They have decided in their hearts he can't be the guy because he does not do what we think he should do. So when they see the very miracles of God exhibiting the Holy Spirit upon him, exhibiting 
the fact that he's sent from God, they can't even think to bow the knee. They don't even do what the crowd does. The, tra- the crowd is going, whoa, is he really, whoa, this is, this is what the Messiah should do. They're kind of getting ready to bow. We should take a look at this guy. He might be the guy. Not the Pharisees. They immediately have to find an explanation for his miraculous activities. And what do they decide? He's demon-possessed. Wow. No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Not only did Jesus' family not seek the truth about him, they decide he should be taken by force and put in an institution. But now the Pharisees choose not to seek the truth about him either. Jesus was a threat, and you have to understand this. Jesus was a threat to all they had dreamed of. He was a threat to all that they had prayed for, to all that they had preached would happen, to all that they really, really wanted. And they thought they were all good things. He was a threat to their national agenda. He was a threat to their personal agendas. Jesus was a threat to their religious agendas. Jesus was a threat to who they wanted to associate with and who they chose to reject. Take that one in, con- in light of the Alverson's announcement. Jesus was a threat to who they wanted to associate with and, and declare unclean, to stay away from. Jesus was a threat to every part of their being. Jesus was a threat to the disciples' desire to sleep in a house. Jesus, God's Messiah, did not fulfill their dreams, but rather than finding out if their dreams were wrong, or unbiblical, they choose to attack him. And they try to turn the crowd on him by attributing his miraculous activity to the devil. Gosh, can you imagine? Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and he replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom won't survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. Wow. What what a response. Um, Just a word of warning based on the Jewish exorcists who are actually casting out demons but not walking with God. I want to refer you back to Pharaoh's court where Moses... And Aaron put a staff down and it turns into a serpent. So too did Pharaoh's witches. I want to remind you that they took water when Moses held the staff over the, over the waters and they all turned to blood. So too did Pharaoh's witches. Just a word of warning, brothers and sisters. I would never doubt a spiritual experience that you've had. I just want to know how you know it's from God whether it's casting out demons or turning water into blood. This isn't a free-for-all. You see, the problem with the Pharisees and Jesus' family is they didn't go back to the Scriptures to find out if He could possibly be the Messiah. They decided He couldn't be. You see, the truth is, the Word of God, the Bible, it's your plumb line. It's your life vest. It's the thing you grip onto to know truth and right and wrong and to evaluate the experiences of our lives. 
They were living in very dangerous times, religiously speaking, when Jesus was alive. They were living in a time when everything was declared religious as defined by the religious leaders. And I would argue that nothing is new. We live in a time where religious leaders are explaining everything away to you and making you politically angrier and and giving you experiences that you want. And I'm not going to say that those experiences aren't real. I'm simply asking you how you know they're from God. The only way to do that is get back in the Word. And there's a simple exterior question. Do those experiences draw people to bow the knee to God or just to enhance the ministry? To be clear, these are religious people building up all things Jewish, the religion God invented. But when we hijack God's religion, we no longer see it as the way God will bless the world with redemption and forgiveness. We see it as a way for a nation to be great and people to be wealthy. We are no longer bowing the knee to God of the Bible. We're bowing the knee to an idol You're wondering why so many lately, and there has been many evangelical leaders that you grew up studying are walking away from the faith? Because they never believed in Jesus. He was a means to the end. I remember when Josh came out, I was a youth pastor when Josh came out with, I kissed dating goodbye. It wasn't about Jesus, it was about parents controlling their kids' behavior not letting their daughters get pregnant, so we called it courting. Same thing as dating, only you got to be in the room. It was never about God or, or honoring God with your life. It wasn't about surrendering control and getting your teenager to actually walk with God and helping them understand the value of that. It was control. It was moral control. And it doesn't work. At some point, you burn out. You burn out of morality. You see, the gospel's about people who don't deserve grace getting grace. Nobody wants anybody to blow up, but we all do. That woman at the table who's kissing his feet, it's got to be, Jesus has got to be going, you can stop licking my feet now. That woman is what we all should be doing. We should be going, don't let go of me, don't let go of me. I will never let go of you. I love you. I came for you. Jesus Christ did not come to fix the socioeconomic status of our country or ourselves. He didn't come to make sure the flag waves or that people don't bow before football games. He came to save sinners. We are so sticking screwed up. We're building monuments to ourselves. Spending millions of dollars on our children and buying things for our kids that will only make them feel more centered on themselves and not on God. We hand 12-year-old kids machinery in their hands that teach them to take pictures of themselves and sometimes in bikinis. Instead of saying, quit looking in the mirror and look at Jesus. This is all about God. Every bit of this, this morning is about God. Study to show yourselves approved workmen who need not be ashamed. We have much to be shamed for in this country. And the church mostly. The reason America is heading the way it's heading is not because of the lost, but because those who claim to be found do not have the fruit of the Spirit. Our culture is not angry because we have a president with thin skin and a big tweeting finger. 
And the same on the other side. Our country is angry because we elect people that reflect our secret evil values. Men and women, walk with Jesus. Vote and go back to Jesus. Walk with him off a cliff. Let him lead you off a cliff. There's joy on in that fall. There's hope in Jesus. I've told you before that one of the things that shocks me about the way we deal with Lazarus and the story of him being raised from the dead is I think that he is to be the most, I think he's the most sympathetic character in Chris Scripture. It tells us that a week after he's raised from the dead, he's at Mary and Martha's house and he's eating and Jesus is there so the crowds come and talk to Jesus, but it tells us that he's in the corner. Do you know why he's in the corner, I think? Because he's going, I can't believe I have to die again. Are you kidding me? I've got to go through this. Next time, it may be a car accident. I mean, he doesn't know. Nobody wants to die, but when you do and you're a child of God, you certainly don't want to come back. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what waits for those of us who earnestly seek him. Earnestly seek him. Do not decide that the Jesus of the Bible is not the Jesus you want. If you do, then he's an idol. He's an idol. The problem with Josh, who just walked away and kissed Christianity goodbye, is that Josh never bowed the knee to Jehovah God. He bowed the knee to a God who served his purposes, whatever they were, whether it's morality or money. And you know what's really weird now? Is now he is saying that he wants to preach a new type of gospel, a gospel that loves and accepts and forgives. And you know what the sad thing is, is I actually think he means it, which as a pastor makes me go, well, which kind of gospel were you teaching then? Because this is about going to the border and ministering to people that you think are politically incorrect. That's exactly what the gospel is. The guy who cuts you off in traffic needs Jesus. The cop who pulls you over because you were speeding. How dare he? Or the waitress who pours tea in your lap. She needs Jesus more than you need dry pants. I get it. I forget it too, but they... These are divine appointments that we have. Back to our story. I don't remember where I was. It was really good, though. <laughs> Verse 28. Let's go, let's go back to 28. I'm almost done. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Okay, so he just finished saying, you know, a divided house. That's kind of weird. That's not even a good philosophical argument. You guys are kind of silly. And then he goes on to say, if I'm actually casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. In other words, if you're by chance wrong, you are in really bad shape right now, my friend. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I love Jesus. He's rough, man. And then verse 30, pretty clear. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. See, the Pharisees thought they were neutral ground. They thought it was their job to referee the conversation. They thought it was their job to find out if he's Jesus, if Jesus is the Messiah. But he says, if you're not with me, you oppose me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. What's cool about this, though, is that Jesus didn't even run from his accusers. He has dinner with them. He stands with them. He interacts with them. He listens to their thoughts, and he goes back at them because he's trying to save them. 
He continues in verse 31, so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man, anybody who talks bad about me, that can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. Real quick, let me explain the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's attributing the work of Jesus to Lucifer. And here's why you can't be forgiven of that. Not because that really ticks God off, but because if you see the resurrection of Jesus Christ or the miracles of Jesus as the power of Satan, what are you being, you'll never be saved. You have already decided in your heart that he's not the Messiah, that he's not coming to redeem. And by that, you've rejected him. He's warning them. If you actually believe what you're saying, you're in trouble. There's no forgiveness for you. You can badmouth me. You can say I'm not the guy. You can say anything you want, but you start talking about the things that I've done, which are validation of my, of, of my message, these miraculous things that I'm the only one doing these things, now you're in trouble because there's nothing else that can convince you. You have been self-convinced in a message that will take you to hell. I want to remind you this morning, family, you need to run to Jesus. <laughs> run to Jesus. There was a, a young man years ago uh, that worked at uh, Livewell. He'd come to Carpenter's Way. I, I've, I've told the story before, but it's so life-impacting. He would come to Carpenter's Way periodically, and I got to know him, and I would go over to Livewell, and he was a lifeguard there. And one, one day he was on break, and we were talking. And I said, so have you ever accepted Christ's offer to forgive you? And he says, no. I'm in search mode. I'm just trying to figure all this out. And I actually warned him that day. I said, don't stay in search mode because it will end. He died in a car accident in Nacogdoches that week. I beg of you, whether you like my preaching or not, please run to Jesus. He is the only one that can save you, for real. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, that means this. You cannot come to Jesus if you do not believe you're a sinner. It's, it's, it's not part of the equation. I don't care who tells you what. And sin is sin. Whether it's same-sex sex attraction or it's other sex attraction outside of marriage, it, whatever. Sin is sin. We don't get to decide what offends God. Actually, we found out from the Sermon on the Mount that it's calling somebody a fool. Sin is sin. And until we get to the point, unlike the Pharisees, that we realize we need a Savior, there is no salvation. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the Scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in every respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I am not talking about walking an aisle or raising your hand at a conference. I'm talking about going, God, I'm in trouble without you. Your Lord, save me. I'm talking about you realizing, not that your teacher's convincing, but that Jesus is the only answer to your problem. Genuinely bowing the knee to God. Listen. This is the most important thing I will ever say to you as a church. If I'm here for 50 years or this is my last week, you are a sinner. You will be judged for that sin. Jesus came to take the punishment for that sin on your behalf. You do not have to pay for your own sin, but you can if you choose to. 
Accept his offer right now to take your sin that he already paid for because he loves you more than you love yourself. Call on his name. Bow the knee. Give your life to him because you have no idea how much time you have left. My brother and sister in Christ, I know that you are afraid that we look angry to the world. I just want to remind you it doesn't matter what the world thinks. All that matters is what Jesus thinks. Follow him. Follow him. Do not cave on that message. Bow the knee to him and follow him. Matthew 12, 31, I tell you, Jesus said, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anybody who speaks against the Son of God can be forgiven, but anybody who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, even in this life or in the world to come. So how do I know if I'm with Jesus or against him? Jesus answers that in the very next verse. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit is good. If it's bad, its fruit will be bad. Notice it doesn't say by walking an aisle or being baptized or being a member of a church. It's by our fruit. We have heard Jesus say this over and over and over in this study so far. So I ask you this question this morning, my family. As you look back at the last week of your life, what does the fruit say about your relationship with God? You must answer that question for yourself. Verse 34, you brought of, brood of snakes. How can evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good pers a person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Please notice that you don't do it to get saved, but because you're saved. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. You don't become a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You indulge in your flesh not because, well, you're just, you know, you indulge in your flesh because that's what's in your heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. I think he's pretty clear. I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I don't need to. So this is really cool, okay? I want everybody to take a breath because I promise we're going to wrap up Bible study leaders. Right after this happens, this happens in Luke 11, 27 to 28. As he was speaking this thing, this thing I just read you, as he's doing that, Luke 11, 27, as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came and the breast that nursed you. Can't you hear somebody yelling that in the Bible times? Oh, your mother's the best lady ever. It must be so wonderful to be your mom. Jesus replied, yeah, it must be pretty cool. But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Wow. Wow. So what do we have to put into practice? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. You want to know what you have to obey to be saved? Put your faith in Christ. 
Don't put your faith in Donald Trump. Don't put your faith in Nancy Pelosi. Or in, in, you put your faith in Jesus. Don't put your faith in the church. Don't put your faith in a preacher. Don't put your faith in your favorite author. You put your faith in Jesus. Not your favorite musician. Not your favorite Christian thought. Not your favorite Christian meme. You put your faith in Jesus. You follow him even when he takes you places you don't want to go. You tell people everywhere, every time, every opportunity that there is hope found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then you die of cancer and go home and it gets better from there. We have forgotten that we are not to live to live. We are to live to die. That is exactly what we're called to do. We are called to live to die because for the child of God, to live, it's faith in Christ, but to die is gain. It is gain. We go home. It gets better. And we have forgotten that. We have forgotten that. There is joy in the Lord, my friends. But only if you bow the knee. Stop making excuses for the Jesus of the Scriptures and learn who He really is. Lord Jesus, make us like You through the power of the Holy Spirit as we bow the knee to You. And if there's somebody today that does not know you as their Savior, may today be the day of their adoption. I thank you for the privilege of opening the Scriptures. Father, my heart needs to be changed too because there's a lot of areas I'm not bowing. Help me to be the things that I preach. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in five minutes. If you're visiting with us and you'd like to find a Bible study, somebody will be at the table, the welcome table in the back, and they'd love to take you. I'll be up here if you'd like to talk or pray.